Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur podcast, where we talk with entrepreneurs who are changing industries, various social systems, cultural paradigms, and how we govern ourselves. So they cover a broad range of ideas. And if you want to know more about that, you can check the Responsible Entrepreneur book, which talks about how I see people doing that from 15 entrepreneurs I have uh, worked with closely. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited to have you with us on the podcast today. I've invited someone to join me. I've come to really love, and I think you will too. Uh, he, I'm going to ask him to introduce himself he, and where he's from. I didn't say that, Danny, but give us your base. So do a quick introduction of you. Where are you based? What are the places you help make decisions? You know? And uh, so we have a reference point of the places you seek to leverage in the world. Thanks, Carol. It's such, a, such an honor to be here with you as well. Uh, my name is Danny Almagor. I work at Small Giants, which is a company that I started with my wife, Barry Liberman, and uh, we've been working together on it for uh, over 12 years, which is a, a pure joy. Uh, and I'm in Melbourne, Australia, so uh, very much on the other side of the world to you, but uh, feel incredibly close to you and the ideas that you discuss. And uh, as I said, really excited to be here to talk about the ideas around regenerative business and the ideas around what might capitalism look like when we put our hearts first. And that's essentially what Small Giants works on. We look at two sides. One is the, the idea of investment. How do we, how do we invest in uh, businesses that are making a difference in the world. And the other side is around education and storytelling. How do we tell a narrative that allows us to be our best selves? And that's essentially like the work that we are passionate about. Doing. And of course, that's how I met you. I'm a person you brought in and interviewed. And that was one of the most fun processes I've ever had being pulled into a group in advance and then in an online conversation. So I can feel it. But I have a few questions I think will help my listeners feel what I felt. Um, the first one is a bit strange. If you thought about when you were a child of an event that actually would help us understand who you are today and looking back, you'd say, wow, if I could see how that happened, how I behaved and who I am, I, I, that was telling me where I was headed. And then I'll have some follow-up questions. But you got an incident like that, you can make a quick transfer to who you are today? Oh, that's that's a great question. I've, I've thought about it a lot around, around events. I, I can think of many, many small events that built up uh, the thinking. There, there are a couple that jump out at me. One of them was when I was at university, I was traveling in India. Um, I think it was 99 or 2000. It's been a while since I've thought about it even. but. And I was on a train, I was traveling with a friend and we were traveling up in the north through Gujarat and, um, and uh, Rajasthan. And as I was on the train, the train started shaking, you know, and, uh, and it was no big deal as Indian trains, maybe the tracks were a little bit, you know, whatever. And I just remember feeling the shake and then, you know, sort of going back to our, our business. And the train continued on a few hours later, we arrived at the stop. Um, which was, I think, in uh, Ahmedabad or, or something. It was, it was, I have to pull back those facts. You've caught me off guard. But basically, we got there. And when we arrived, it was mayhem. There was a, an earthquake had happened. Um, wow. And it was enormous. Like, if you, you look back, if you Google back to that time, it was an earthquake that killed thousands and thousands of people. It was devastating. 
Um, and of course, what I'd felt that little bit of shaking on the train was this enormous earthquake um, that had happened, the epicenter a little bit further away from where we were. And once we landed, it was crazy ambulances and people like it was really, really frightening. And I remember stopping there and the people at the train station said basically, tourists, guys, just get on the next buses. The trains are not running anymore. Get on the buses and get out of here. Right. It's just you don't want to be here. Right. Jump on and go to Mumbai, go wherever you can go. And um, and we did. You know, we listened to that and just got out of the way of, of the of the challenges. But I remember getting on the, that bus at that point there and I was in the middle of an engineering degree uh, almost at the end actually and I just remember thinking here I am I'm fit I'm able um, I was backpacking I've got no responsibility um, I was you know quite involved in the outdoors I had a you know first aid um, and um, and as I said almost an engineering degree and I was like use me I'm here like like how do I get involved and and I think that was a big a big moment for me, it wasn't the first time I thought about it, but a big moment of like, I am a tool for change. I'm a tool of service. And, um, and what we need is we need a framework to use the tools because in and of itself, I couldn't just turn up and, you know, and do stuff. I needed an organization to join. I needed a coordinator to say, hey, Danny, you need to go there. They need help there. Or, or these people need help, you know, cleaning water or whatever it is. So I realized the infrastructure needs to be built for us to be our best selves, for us to be able to continue. And that kind of led me on this journey of everything that we've been doing, which is actually not just the helping, like the volunteering is wonderful, but we don't have the infrastructure to do impact investing, to do better business, to volunteer, to help in a disaster, then it's just mayhem. So that, that kind of, I don't yeah, know if that's the story. That's, that's great. And I actually, not having known you very long, but I can see how that portended a way you would be working. Now, it leads me to a bit of a follow-up question because what you're talking about is kind of the ability to make a difference, to do something. And in, in, in that particular case, it was a pretty big crisis, which we're in another one of those nowadays. Yes. But somewhere along the way, we formulate what I call a theory of change. You know, how it is change happens, all right? And by the way, I would say you're an instrument, not a tool. And let me tell you why, because I think it matters, right? If you're a tool, you're a hammer, and you try and use a hammer everywhere. If you're an instrument or like a sextant, you know, on a ship that can help you figure out things as I'm, so assuming um, there's some truth to that, um, what do you, what, how would you describe what your theory is of how change comes about? And that could be in you personally, which clearly was happening then. It could be in how you do work in the world. It could be in how you involve others, but Give us, you know, some summary of a theory of change. And then I got a few questions for us to try with, try that out on. <laughs> That's great. I actually, I like your framing of the instrument. Um, I think, yeah, uh, I, I like that idea of, of um, being broad. Yeah. Uh, the theory of change, uh, um, I'm just trying to think of even where to start. It's, it's, it's such big questions, Carol, as always. But a few things come to mind. One thing around a theory of change is, if for me, I really feel driven by relationships, you know, intimate relationships. So I think the first part of the theory is um, 
is that there, there's a very much a trying to influence a small group of people. Like I always believe that Margaret Mead quote that, that you know, um, it's a small group of people that, that ultimately can change the world. We're not trying to change everyone. It's not let's convince, you know, 8 billion people to shift. Um, it's let's look at the acupressure points. Let's look at those, those influences, those people that have the opportunity to shift. So we can try and convince, you know, 10,000 students or we can try and convince one principal at a school. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not right or wrong. Of course, it's right, fun right. to work with students and to do that. But it's also really powerful. Like, you know, I have a, a friend of mine who, who I did go to school with, who's now the principal of a school. And, we, you know, we went away and we had a good chat. And three weeks later, the school committed to, you know, carbon neutrality and put, you know, 30 kilowatts of solar on their roof. Um, now, the students have been, you know, sort of calling for that for a while. But, a, you know, a, a short conversation with the principal uh, activated that change. So I guess the first theory is asking, I'm always asking myself, where, where can we influence a small group of people to make a large change? Um, and I think that's led me also to the idea of investing, because um, again, often the investor, particularly in our culture today, which I, I don't think is, is great, but it's real, the investor has a disproportionate amount of power. You know, the investor comes in and sort of says, you know, I'll give you, Carol, you want to start a new business, I'll give you $50,000 to start, but only if you have women on your board, or only if you commit to um, not using plastic in your, you know, supply chain. And the investor has a very, very powerful lever there. So I guess the theory of this idea of trying to look for the, the influences or the, the leverage point is a big part of the work. I think the second one is probably more spiritual or, or deeper, which is the question around the inner work and the outer work. Yeah. And there it comes to this idea that, that we need wisdom. We need the inner work to understand what it is we're trying to achieve. And that is through learning, that is through mentors, that is, that is you know, through experience. There's wisdom that can come out of that stuff. On the other side, we need action. Um, you know, we need, we need to do stuff. Like, so I've always thought that, you know, wisdom without action, it's great that some, you know, some guy goes into a cave and meditates for three years about the meaning of life. But in that three years, you know, we have death and destruction. We have climate change, you know, people's houses are burning and, and forests are burning. And I'm like, that's great that you went into the cave, but kind of like the Buddha, we need you back out here in the world. Right? We need you to help us use that wisdom. Um, so wisdom without action, I think, is, is a bit irrelevant. And action without wisdom is stupidity. That's when we sort of jump in and like had I been that earthquake, jumped in and said, I'm here, I'm ready. And I'm running around like a chicken without a head saying, you know, I, I, like here, you know, I'll throw bricks in this direction and push water in that direction. And they're all saying, hey, you're making more of a mess. You know, it's great that you want to help, but there is no wisdom attached to your action. And so my, the, the, I guess the deep element of this theory is we really need to marry, right, almost like a, a, a journey through acquiring wisdom and activating that in action and then going back and acquiring more wisdom. So it looks to me like, you know, listen to this podcast and then go out and change your pension fund or your superannuation and say, actually, my money is a big leverage point. I should do that. And then go and listen to the next podcast or go and read Dumbo Feather or go and watch, you know, The Social Dilemma. I don't know, whatever it is that sort of opens your mind to a new idea. 
right? And then you go, oh, then I can take action there. And, and that's kind of, for me, the journey in small giants is really, we call healing vortex. The healing vortex is this idea of continually moving through learning something about how to be the best we can be and then putting it into action which is so much, I mean, I have to admit so much about my inspiration from what you talk about, because a huge wisdom about what is regenerative business, but if you can't actually create regenerative businesses, just talking about them is not enough. So that wisdom and action is so profound in, in our theory of change. Um, and it's a deep personal journey. Right, I, and I can hear that. I was wondering, I, I was going to go one place, but I want to back up just a little bit to the train in India for a moment to where did you discover, and maybe it showed up in that event, the inner work, because I can see how you thought about the infrastructure and what's got to be done and the frameworks and all that, that was out there. Where did the inner work happen when you were on that train or just off that train or trying to get to Mumbai yeah. or wherever you were? I, I, I think at the core of the inner work was the idea of connection and love, uh, empathy, you know, uh, like the work that for me, the ultimate is seeing the, you, you know, one part, like, you know, plenty of people were just like, this is scary, I'm running away, like, you know, these aren't my people. Um, and I think the first part of inner work is really empathy and love and, and that, that, that connection. So looking at what happened and saying these are my brothers and my sisters who need me you know um and that very deep inside was the impetus to sort of say i am here right? i'm not leaving i'm at I'm, I'm in service um and then the second part is a lot of elements around how do i how do i hold my best self how do i not collapse you know under the the weight of, of anxiety and stress attached to the situation and how do I, how do I hold myself as an example in this situation? You know, do I, you know, freak out or do I show calm? You know, so so for me, those things obviously these are the outer expressions of the inner work. But for me, the inner work is is about finding that space inside where I'm connected to the people around me. I'm not shocked or thrown into dis, you know, sort of a, a discombobulated. Um, mindset. I'm, I'm in a very, you know, very connected and calm mindset to try and deal with this problem. So that's kind of the inner work. But of course, as much of that is also um, the work around that wisdom. You know, what what is the right thing to do at this moment? And I think there's a huge conversation that we don't have at schools. You know, we don't we don't have in in most of our institutions right. around. You know, how do I, as a, as a person, not just the action, not just how do I put a Band-Aid on someone, how do I, as a person inside, respond to the moment? And for me, the last year has been that in spades. I mean, yeah. you know, how many people, you know, the conversations we've, we've heard and we've been a part of during COVID about how do I respond to the situation that's been put in front? And I'll be honest, there are parts of me that have been really proud of how I've responded, and it's also shown my weaknesses and my shadows and places where I'm like, wow, I, I responded in the beginning of this uh, pandemic with fear. You know, I wanted to respond with love. And my first instinct was protect my family, hide, you know, the toilet paper saga that everyone went through. I was like, I was like, I understood that. And I was like, that is not my best self. But that's where my, my mind went to. And so for me, I think the inner journey is working on that, 
grateful right. and that part of me that can respond in the best way possible rather than and, and that takes development i mean people say i'm going to do that but you have to have ableness to do that uh yeah and i think i've watched you working on that and continue uh, you, I'd like to take you back to where I was going a few moments ago. Um, You're talking about something I'd hold near and dear. I label a little different, but which is the difference between trying to scale something. Let's do more, do for everybody, uh, versus what I call nodal. Leverage mm -hmm. is on the way to it, but nodal is what in the world if you touch this acupuncture needle and that one could move the whole system. Uh, and I know when you, I mean, I don't know all the details, but I know when you, uh, and that was part of your change theory, right? Work notably. Yes. When you founded, you and Barry founded Small Giants, you and you had some colleagues in that process. How did you decide to structure what you're doing and what you offer that you thought was nodal in how you were mm -hmm. going to work? Um, how did your theory of change apply in small giants creation? Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it evolved over time as well. I won't say we had all, right. we definitely didn't have the answers as we began. We did start, Small Giants is actually named after a book by a guy named Bo Burlingham, who I, I love, and the book was a deep inspiration. And I remember after we both read it, we rang him and said, hey, that was the best book on business we'd read until I uh, found you, Carol, but, <laughs> but, he, uh, but and, and said, we're this little company in Australia, do you mind if, if we use the name? And he said, no problem. So that was, that was beautiful, very generous. It was very in line with the, um, the, the philosophy of the book that he wrote. Um, but actually the original name was Hub and Spokes, right? Um, and, and funnily enough, I think a few people sort of thought we were a, a bicycle shop. But the idea of the hub and spokes was that nodal concept that you talk about, that we felt like we, we might be the hub. You know, we had we had some capitals, we had some money to invest and, and you know, both Barry and I are very entrepreneurial. So we, we also had a lot of ideas to create, but we didn't want to try and hold it. This wasn't an empire building exercise. The idea was this hub and spokes that we could create these nodes that would go out in the world and be what they, what they needed to be. And um, rather than sort of the empire approach of having it all under one banner. Um, and very much always believed that the idea of the, the spokes would be that they would go out and become their own thing. Like we might seed one of those nodes, as you call it, like, you know, maybe in, in regenerative agriculture or, or in education um, or in storytelling. And that ultimately becomes its own, you know, that, that child grows up and becomes its own entity that doesn't sort of need us. So that, that, was, that was the beginning. And we came up with those nodes or those spokes really out of out of sort of an integration between our passions. What were we, what did we care about? And what did the world need at the time? Um, so we were looking at, you know, this is 2007, 2008 um, and onwards. And, you know, we felt like the food system, you know, Hippocrates says, let food be thy medicine and medicine be mm -hmm. thy food. And for us, I think that that's the fundamental. It's like, you know, you put crap in and you get crap out. And so we knew the food system was something that was really important both to the world. And personally, we were, you know, I, I grew up, my grandfather was, was a, a, a gardener, but a, a keen gardener who really, you know, built my love 
or gardening. Like I can sit for eight hours in the garden weeding and mm. I'm in flow. So for me, that was like my inner joy. My favorite place to be is in the garden. And we also, you know, we also knew that, that the idea of, you know, farming food production was an essential node or acupressure point to shift, you know, everything from our consciousness, like what we eat affects our brain, to climate change and how we, you know, you know, regenerate the soil through, through better methods of growing food. So that became one of those nodes, right? And the same thing, Barry, who's really the giant in Small Giants, um, and she's, she's amazing, and she's a storyteller, and she was working in film. And we thought, well, you know, film is a huge nodal point. Like if we can tell different stories, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, for example, was a profound, you know, whether you like it or not, right, it redefined a narrative and it moved the world. And we sort of thought that's an amazing opportunity for another influence and a passion point. Barry's love is in film. And it had another point. So we kind of looked and said, where do these two things match? And they became the focus areas of the work. There are lots of things that we love, you know, like I love rock climbing, but I wasn't sure if rock climbing was going to be one of those because I wasn't sure that was what the world needs now. I still love rock climbing, but it wasn't sort of the focus. But when we saw, we saw those two things, our passions and what the world needs aligned, we were like, that's where we have to be. Great. All right. So I suspect... I mean, I think as I listen to you, I would want to touch some of what you're doing. I would mm. want to get involved. I would want to participate. And I think understanding the kind of current offerings you make and how people could come, I, uh, I was like, have you written things? Have you got blogs you do? Have you got workshops? I mean, I know some of the answer to this, but talk about where you touch people who actually can feel something here and would like to touch the work of small giants. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, the invitation is so open, both to touch the work of small giants, but also if you're just inspired by the work, touch it in, in other ways, you know, so, so small giants is one avenue, but, but the, what, what we, what we love and what we're doing at the moment on the, on the education side and the storytelling, we have a, a, a magazine called Dumbo Feather. I think it's the best magazine. Um, and Carol is interviewed in that magazine, which makes it uh, uh, definitely at the top of the list for everyone. But this magazine basically interviews each issue, a group of people we think are living a life of passion and purpose, essentially exactly what Barry and I were asking ourselves. And we sort of said, that's what we're looking for. How do we integrate those two concepts? And the best way to do that is to actually find others as examples. And so we interview people like yourself. We've got, you know, sustainable chefs and, you know, Brian Stevenson, who's a lawyer in the US who, yeah. who works with people on death row. We've interviewed, you know, philosophers, uh, builders, um, you know, from all different walks of life. Our current issue, we interviewed actually a, a death walker, which is this amazing concept, um, uh, a woman named Zenith who actually guides people through dying, which of course in the last 12 months has been an extraordinary, you know, year of death and grief and loss. And we thought what a profound uh, conversation to hold around somebody whose life's work is guiding people through dying. 
Um, so we try and do that. So that's Dumbo Feather. Dumbo Feather. What's the access point for that? So you can jump online and, and read a lot of it online, um, dumbofeather.com, but you can also subscribe. We have a physical magazine which is printed on, you know, soy-based inks and beautiful stuff and, and you know, it's, it's almost a collector's item. So as Dumbo Feather, we've got podcasts like Myths, Morals and Money, which Barry did, really trying to analyse our economy as if it was like from a Jungian analysis perspective, as if it was a patient. So, you know, what, what are the underlying things of our economy that's pushing us in different directions? It's a fascinating podcast. We have something called our MBE, Mastery of Business and Empathy. And it's an alternative to an MBA where we sort of turned around and said, you know, I studied a business degree. I, I did engineering and, business, and a business degree. And I remember in the business degree, we only studied traditional businesses. We studied, you know, like, like in Australia, Telstra, the equivalent AT&T in America. And these were the businesses, Jack Welsh and General Electric were the examples. And of course, anybody who's listening to this knows, you know, that our concept of business is not quite that. Like there's, there's a very different way of doing it than the traditional way. So we said, what would that look like? How could we learn our lessons around marketing from Patagonia? right, who has taken an approach to marketing, which is don't buy more of our stuff, right, we are going to repair anything that, that breaks, and we're going to have a completely different relationship with our customers from a marketing and storytelling perspective. So we're creating this mastery of business and empathy to say, how might we be able to run businesses in the future that lead with heart, that are still commercial, that still do really well in the world, that are actually putting purpose at the front of their, of their intention around the business. So we've got all these different courses. We've got another one called the Journey to Impact, which takes investors who wanna sort of use their wealth as an instrument for change, like we discussed earlier, and say, how do you do that? How do you build a portfolio where in it, uh, instead of maybe fossil fuels, if you, if you care about climate change, a renewable energy. And if you care about gender equality, you, you know, we set targets around women in our portfolio or gender diversity or, or, or you know, racial diversity, whatever it is that you care about. So we try and do on the wisdom side, all of these opportunities to engage. And you can go to smallgiants.com.au, which has got all of our programs. The other side, of course, is the action side where you can actually activate. And there it's things like regenerative agriculture, uh, which is really exciting. Again, we're focused on Australia mostly. And if you wanna to come to Australia, we've got lots of exciting things for you to do, but I mean, do it in your community, do it in your local council, go and buy at a farmer's market, right? And on that side, we're looking at that, we look at waste and how do we minimize and, and eliminate the concept of waste? So we actually have an amazing business that we've invested in that takes uh, farm waste, uh, particularly uh, aquaculture, and we use seaweed to clean up that water, right? So it's using biomimicry, using nature uh, that spent a couple of, you know, billion years honing its skill in this with regards to algae and, and microalgae and macroalgaes, right? And using nature to actually solve some of the problems that we've got today. So, so really exciting stuff in waste, in, 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 um, in agriculture, and even in the built environment. We have a construction company that builds green homes. Um, that's really, really exciting. We actually built a home in, uh, in Victoria, in Australia, where we managed to send zero of the waste of that home to landfill. So mm -hmm. the entire home we built was, it was the highest rated home uh, that we know of, 10 stars, so it requires no, you know, no uh, external heating and cooling. 
and we managed to do it waste free. So we're really trying to activate that stuff. So if you're in Australia and want to build a home, that's a great place. But really, there are so many organisations, so many regenerative businesses that are saying, we think we can do this differently. This is not about small giants. We're just trying to highlight where we can, those nodes, but hopefully you look for those in your local area. So if each of those businesses you've invested in sound pretty exciting. Yeah. Is all of that also off of Small Giants website? They can go there and find where these various ventures are. And I, I think it would be unique to their place, as you're saying. But for inspiration, you could get something. Yeah. Do you have any educational pieces organized with those action investment uh, ventures? Or is that where do those stories get told? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you know, one of, one of our investment sort of vehicles is the Impact Investment Group, IIG, and you can find a lot of stuff there. We've got, you know, I mean, great investments, you know, um, some of them you can join, some of them, you know, are, are not there anymore, whether it's renewable energy or or even um, a really cool one that uh, that is in Australia that's looking at using um, insects as, uh, anim as protein yeah. to try and sort of take, you know, take the protein, um, uh, load off of, uh, you know, the broad scale, um, you know, farming. Okay, so what the name was, it's IIG? Yes, Impact Investment Group. Okay. Um, so, so you can, you can sort of Google Impact Investment Group Australia, uh, but there's Tiverton, um, T-I-V-R-T-O-N, which is an agricultural fund. Um, you know, I, I think I probably need to work a bit harder on our website to make it easier to find all these things. But if you do jump on small giants, you know, you, there's a few click throughs and you end up finding a lot of the things that we're involved in. We've got this amazing business in Bhutan that we've supported, which is helping, you know, small scale farmers, you know, in their livelihoods and in sustainability around hazelnut trees. Really, really exciting stuff. And that's the point, I think, of this type of work. Once you get into these ideas, whether it's B Corporation or conscious capitalism or, or you know, all these words, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to attach to words. What I want to attach is to the idea, which I think, Carol, you really inspired in me, the question around the essence. The essence is, you know, looking for these, these, these businesses or these investments on both sides of that, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an investor, right, or even an employee, you're looking for these, these businesses, these opportunities to contribute. And, uh, and it is, I'm, I just, I, I'm overwhelmed with excitement when I think about, you know, working in this space and with the people that are involved here. Great. So we're getting close to being out of time, but there's a subject that you mentioned earlier, and I know it's near and dear to your heart, that I would like to have kind of put all of this in context, which is the healing vortex. Yes. That has a lot of meaning to you, right? And it in some ways would say, this is how you can understand everything we do from the time I was in India to the time Barry and I created what we did in our evolution. Could you talk a little bit about what that is, what that means, and how it kind of guides you? Yeah, the healing vortex are kind of, uh, uh, Barry and I did a, a biodynamics workshop and because um, uh, we have a, a small farm and, um, and they were talking a lot about vortexes and, you know, how powerful that is to energize water. So that, that's where the name came from, the healing vortex. Um, but basically we see, uh, we see to, uh, uh, fundamentally a few forces, right? Um, 
I think humans uh, want to connect, want to approach to love. And if you think at the bottom of the healing vortex is this idea of wholeness and love and connection. And we want to head down there, right? And what that looks like on the healing vortex is discussed on one side, if you imagine the vortex, although it's three-dimensional, is wisdom and the other side is action. And what we do, like gravity, gravity is this unbelievable attractive force that Carol, even though we're on other sides of the world, gravity is having a small impact to try and bring you and I together physically. Physically, we are two masses and gravity is pushing us a little bit together. That's unbelievable. How beautiful is that an idea, right? You know, every person on the planet is being attracted to each other on that. And I think love and wholeness are the metaphysical or non-physical forces of attraction, right? We want to love, we want to connect. And this idea of the healing vortex is just saying, we want to acknowledge that and say that is at the core of the human experience. How do we then build infrastructure, a society, an economy, an education, right? That brings us to that. And the thing that we need in order to do that is we need to feel safe, right? We need to feel that we have the opportunity to connect without sort of, you know, without everything falling apart. So that's why it's so important when we think of the healing vortex to invest in things like, you know, a renewable energy or a better energy system, a better healthcare system, better education system, because those things, better housing, those things give us the, the security to be able to get closer to each other. And on the other side is the trauma vortex. And the trauma vortex is the exact opposite. And what that does is that leads us, you know, through things like fear and ignorance and distrust. It leads us away from connection. And you can feel it. And when I mentioned before about the pandemic, I really felt that, you know, in the beginning, I try and live in my healing vortex which wants to connect. And as I said, all those elements, you know, I read Dumbo Feather and I put my money into an ethical pension fund and I build a green home and I go rock climbing with my kids and all these things that hold me in my healing vortex. Of course, when distrust comes, when fear, when ignorance, I go away from that and I start saying, I want to disconnect from everything else, right? I need to protect. I need to go into this other mode. And you can see that right, in things like, uh, you know, if I, if I can call it out, you know, the wall, Trump's wall with Mexico is based on fear, right? Of course, there's no concept of a wall with Canada, right? Because there's no fear attached there. What we see there is connection. And connection means we have a wonderful, thriving economy, we have good relationships, we laugh, we, we, we support each other. And when there's fear, we build a wall, right? So it's a very, very real, you can see the differences of the trauma vortex, leading our decision making and the healing vortex and um and so for me this idea is a lot of the work that we do needs to give people the, the feeling the safety to stay in the healing vortex because when we do feel that fear and i felt it in the beginning of this year as COVID started i felt myself not wanting to connect i felt myself wanting to isolate and wanting to sort of hey we don't we don't shake hands and amazingly, I have to give credit to the Australian government. The Australian government jumped in and what they did, and this is real, like, like we need to think about this, you know, both on a very personal level and a very national or global level. Australian government came in and said, we are going to provide a, a living wage to every person in Australia whose job is at risk, 
right? It was unbelievable. It was called Job Keeper, and they had Job Seeker for people who lost their jobs, right? And it was $700 a week or $1,400 a fortnight to, to any business that was basically had lost the ability to keep their staff. It was unbelievable. And you saw the difference, right? My, my somatic experience, what I felt inside was like, oh, you know, I'm not worried about having to fire my staff in this moment. And, and it allowed me, I could feel it, it allowed me to move from my trauma vortex of like, how the hell do I save myself to going back to healing? How do I connect to those people around me? Right. Um, I think we need to think about that in our businesses. We need to think about that in our communities. And we think, need to think about that in ourselves. Like what, what do I, I need rest. I need a good amount of sleep to stay in my healing vortex. I need mentors like you, Carol, to stay in my healing vortex. I need friends who love me and will support me even when I'm down to be in my healing vortex. So the sense of what do we need to build around us is so profound there. But if we can, our decisions will come from love and not fear. Wow, this has been a great conversation. I'd like one more time for you to tell people how to follow up either for themselves or for others how they can find something just so they have this final little bit about how they can get more of what we just heard. Yeah, reach out to smallgiants.com.au. On there, we've got our podcasts, we've got our programs. Uh, as I said in the beginning, this is all personal. You know, when you join, we interact directly and, and feel like we hold hands on this journey. This is not about, you know, anonymous people walking this path. This is about community. So smallgiants.com.au is where we hold the center of this community, but we're really excited for, for more people to join what we believe to be, you know, this, this new way of being, this regenerative life that you wrote about in your most recent book, which I love. And I really want to encourage people to reach out to Small Giants. I not only have been touched by you and all of the folks who are there and what you're about, but the people who showed up to participate in what I did have reached out and are doing amazing things in the world. So you've somehow created a community. Uh, and I want to encourage people to come join you. And I want to thank you for taking the time. It took us a little while to get this together, but it's wonderful seeing you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Carol.